Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 58 is entitled Self-Reliance, Concept 5, Nonconformist. I have selected 10 concepts from Ralph Waldo Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance. Each concept expands the virtues and variations of self-reliance or warns of the vices of the ways we forfeit self-reliance. Concept 1. Blind Obedience Concept 2. False Charity Concept 3. Truth Concept 4. Faith Concept 5. Nonconformist Concept 6. To thine own self be true Concept 7. Self-reliance. Concept 8. Character. Concept 9. God. Concept 10. Solitude. In this podcast, we shall discuss concept number 5, nonconformist. Whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist. He who would gather immortal palms must not be hindered by the name of goodness, but must explore if it be goodness. Nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your own mind. Absolve you to yourself, and you shall have the suffrage of the world. Satan's greatest tool today is to call good evil and evil good. In the words of Isaiah, Isaiah 5.20 Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Emerson cautions, He who would gather immortal palms must not be hindered by the name of goodness, but must explore it if it be goodness. Emerson asks us to put integrity of our own mind above the philosophies of man. This is explored in concept three, truth. Conforming has both negative connotations and positive connotations. The negative would be subservient, obsequious, ingratiating, bowing, Scraping, fawning, cowering, cringing, toadying, bootlicking. The positive would be to acknowledge, to respect, to concur, to harmonize, to accommodate. Emerson doesn't ignore common sense, but he strongly advocates self-reliance. He cautions against accepting other people's truths. He opposes subservience, servility, obsequiousness, acquiescence, capitulation deference, submissiveness, docility, timidity, passiveness, or unassertiveness. Emerson found refuge in truth rather than institutionalized orthodoxy. A man is to carry himself in the presence of all opposition as if everything were titular and ephemeral but he. I am ashamed to think how easily we capitulate to badges and names to large societies and dead institutions. Every decent and well-spoken individual affects and sways me more than is right. I ought to go upright and vital and speak the rude truth 
in all ways. He practiced what he preached. One can only imagine how Emerson would respond to the religiosity of the left as they imposed their woke values on the nation. The left attempts to crush anyone who disagrees with their philosophy. Emerson would advise us all to go upright and vital and speak the rude truth in all ways. He continues his argument for nonconformity. My life is for itself and not for a spectacle. I much prefer that it should be of a lower strain, so it be genuine and equal, than that it should be glittering and unsteady. I wish it to be sound and sweet, and not to need diet and bleeding. I ask primary evidence that you are a man, and refuse this appeal from the man to his actions. I know that for myself it makes no difference whether I do or forbear those actions, which are reckoned excellent. I cannot consent to pay for a privilege where I have intrinsic right. Few and mean as my gifts may be, I actually am and do not need for my own assurance or the assurance of my fellows any secondary testimony. Does not the phrase, I have intrinsic right, bring to mind our own Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is human nature to seek approval. Emerson would say that is a weakness. He said, I actually am and do not need for my own assurance or the assurance of my fellows any secondary testimony. He does not need validation from others. The danger of seeking validation is that one is tempted to conform to the ideas of others to receive validation. When he said, my life is for itself and not for a spectacle, he asserts that he does not seek to please others, to become a spectacle to be admired. Subservience leads to conformity. Conformists are tempted to give people what they know they will like. He prefers to be low-key, to be genuine and equal over being glittering and unsteady. The purpose of glitter is to attract attention. One does not need attention to know he is right. Notice the strange phrase, I wish it to be sound and sweet and not to need diet and bleeding. That image is probably more powerful in our day even than his. Today we're obsessed with diet, with plastic surgery, suntans, vitamins, and sculpted bodies. Often we are merely conforming to the standards set by others. Emerson prefers the sweetness of inner confidence. By preferring primary evidence, he means self-evident truth, not secondary opinion. What Emerson calls secondary testimony. He added, I know that for myself it makes no difference whether I do or forbear those actions which are reckoned excellent. I love Emerson's phrase, I cannot consent to pay for a privilege where I have intrinsic right. The left today is selling us privileges that we already have an intrinsic right to, as stated above in our Declaration of Independence. Government wants to create equality which we already possess. To the left, equality means equity, and equity means socialism. Any attempt by government to create equality automatically reduces equality. It shows favoritism to certain groups and penalizes other groups. What I must do is all that concerns me, not what the people think. This rule, equally arduous in actual and in intellectual life, may serve for the whole distinction between greatness and meanness. It is the harder, 
because you will always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it. Self-Reliance was written in 1841, almost 200 years ago, yet Emerson has struck at the heart of the primary ploy of the left today in 2023. The liberals think they know our duty better than we know our duty. Do you remember when Mayor Michael Bloomberg banned cups of soda over 16 ounces in New York City to curb obesity? Since January the 2nd, 2023, California has banned the sale and manufacturing of new animal fur products. They are now looking to ban all fossil fuels and gas-driven cars, even natural gas stoves. Where does it end? Again, I quote the inimitable Paul. Why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Emerson is right. You will always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it. Infancy conforms to nobody. All conform to it, so that one babe commonly makes four or five out of the adults who prattle and play to it. So God has armed youth and puberty and manhood no less with its own piquancy and charm and made it enviable and gracious and its claims not to be put by, if it will stand by itself. Do not think the youth has no force, because he cannot speak to you and me. Hark! In the next room his voice is sufficiently clear and emphatic. It seems he knows how to speak to his contemporaries. Bashful or bold, then he will know how to make us seniors very unnecessary. To Emerson, nonconformity is inherent. We are born with it, but soon grow out of it. Though we must all at some point put away childish things, Emerson is saying that we should not put away our independence. Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. Society is a joint stock company in which the members agree for the better of securing of his bread to each shareholder to surrender the liberty and culture of the eater. The virtue in most request is conformity. Self-reliance is its aversion. It loves not realities and creators, but names and customs. Has that ever been more obvious than in today's obsessive, compulsive political hysteria? Men dressed as women are appointed women of the year, and we're expected to applaud and entirely ignore the insult to women. Men dressed as women compete in women's sports, and we're expected to applaud when they cross the finish line first, though nature gave them the body of a man. Society today says that gender is a choice, even though the laws of nature deny it. Some in society even claim that men can have babies or periods, even though in the history of the world it has never happened and it will never happen naturally. But we are expected to ignore the laws of nature and conform. Where friendly persuasion doesn't work, they use intimidation. A man must consider what a blind man's bluff is this game of conformity. If I know your sect, I anticipate your argument. I hear a preacher announce for his text and topic the expediency of one of the institutions of his church. Do I not know beforehand that not possibly can he say a new and spontaneous word? Do I not know that, with all this ostentation and examining the grounds of the institution, he will do no such thing? Do I not know that he is pledged to himself not to look but at one side, the permitted side, not as a man, but as a parish minister? He is a retained attorney, 
and these heirs of the bench are the emptiest affectation. Emerson encourages us to think for ourselves, whether in religious orthodoxy or political orthodoxy. If you maintain a dead church, contribute to a dead Bible society, vote with a great party either for the government or against it, spread your table like base housekeepers, under all these screens, I have difficulty to detect the precise man you are. And of course, so much force is withdrawn from your proper life. But do your work, and I shall know you. Do your work, and you shall reinforce yourself. We live in a politically charged world, and compromise is necessary. But compromise is a double-edged sword. Some things, regardless of public opinion, cannot be compromised. Well, most men have bound their eyes with one or another handkerchief and attached themselves to one of these communities of opinion. This conformity makes them not false in a few particulars, author of a few lies, but false in all particulars. Their every truth is not quite true. Their two is not the real two. Their four not the real four. So that every word they say chagrins us and we know not where to begin to set them right. Meantime, nature is not slow to equip us in the prison uniform of the party to which we adhere. We come to wear one cut of face and figure, and acquire by degrees the gentlest asinine expression. The danger of conformity is that we risk losing who we really are. We are always in danger of becoming the person we pretend to be. There's a little book, once upon a time very well known, entitled, As a Man Thinketh, by James Allen, based on a proverb. Proverb 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Nothing buries the truth deeper than an avalanche of lies. Things become true by repetition. If you watch the news at all, you will find that a reporter's opinion of the truth is repeated more often than the truth. Even the same phrases are used on nearly every major news network, which, of course, is dominated by the left. At the end of the day, after the propaganda machine has run its course, one reporter actually said, It must be true because so many newscasters have reported it. Facts revealed that it was a lie, but that was irrelevant. The reporter appealed to the majority, who all repeated the same story from the first reporter, word for word. There was no evidence in the face of the reporter that he doubted his authority. His mouth operated, though his mind was blank. For me, that moment revealed how dangerous the news media has become. Regardless of the facts, they create the narrative and sustain the narrative. They are like dust devils in a dry field that dance about all day, stirring up the same dust and calling it news. The voyage of the best ship is a zigzag line of a hundred tacks. See the line from a sufficient distance and it straightens itself to the average tendency. Your genuine action will explain itself and will explain your other genuine actions. Your conformity explains nothing. Act singly and what you have already done singly will justify you now. Does that not sound like my reporter? His conformity explained nothing. He merely repeated what all the other reporters had said, and they merely repeated what the first reporter had said. No one examined the source. No one appeared to care whether the story was true or not. The subject, of course, was Donald Trump. 
It appears, even to his enemies, if they are honest, that nearly everything the left has done since Trump defeated Hillary Clinton in the election for president, including the riots of January 6th, has been to destroy Trump's chances of running for federal office again. Defeating Trump, not searching for the truth, is the goal. The ends justify the means. The narrative continues, even though one lie after another has come to light. That is the power of conformity. It validates Emerson's observation. Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. Conformity thrives in a society where truth has become relative. Moral relativism feeds conformity, and conformity is a beast that devours our manhood. Greatness appeals to the future. If I can be firm enough today to do right and scorn eyes, I must have done so much right before as to defend me now. Be it how it will, do right now. Always scorn appearances, and you always may. Conformity is born out of fear. Emerson was right when he said that infancy conforms to nobody. Infants have not yet learned to fear. They are not self-conscious. They are not self-aware. They are not concerned with what others think. It takes a very bold person who is self-aware to scorn appearances. No one likes to be laughed at or mocked or considered a pariah. Emerson said it beautifully. For nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure. And therefore, a man must know how to estimate a sour face. The bystanders look askance on him in the public street or in the friend's parlor. If this adversation had its origin in contempt and resistance like his own, he might well go home with a sad countenance. But the sour face of the multitude, like their sweet faces, has no deep cause but are put on and off as the wind blows and a newspaper directs. Yet is the discontent of the multitude more formidable than that of the Senate and the college? It is easy enough for a firm man who knows the world to brook the rage of the cultivated classes. Their rage is decorous and prudent, for they are timid as being very vulnerable themselves. But when to their feminine rage the indignation of the people is added, when the ignorant and the poor are aroused, when the unintelligent brute force that lies at the bottom of society is made to growl and mow, it needs the habit of magnanimity and religion to treat it godlike as a trifle of no concernment. I should like to conclude this podcast with Emerson's call to action. I hope in these days that we have heard the last of conformity and consistency. Let the words be gazetted and ridiculous henceforward. Instead of the gong for dinner, let us hear a whistle from the Spartan fife. Let us never bow and apologize more. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.